The scripture is the third chapter of Joshua when they have come to the verge of the promised land beginning in verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and the Israelites set out from Shittim and came over to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, officers went among the people giving these orders. When you see the Ark of the Lord's Covenant pass before you with the Levitical priest carrying it, move out from your position and follow the Ark so that you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark Be careful and do not go near it. Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, Pick up the Ark and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went before them. And then God said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. And say to the priests who carry the ark, when you reach the water's edge of the Jordan, go in it and stand there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some of you know that in my life, Ray Vanderland has been very important. I've been to Israel four times with him. And I learn a lot by watching him. But sometimes I learn when other people watch him. A friend of mine told me about a trip they were on to Israel about five years ago. And uh, Ray was standing in the Jordan River, which was uh, moving at that time pretty well. And he was inviting people who wanted to to come into the River Jordan, and he was helping them. He lost his footing. He slipped and fell and got carried more than a hundred yards downstream while people were running along the banks of the Jordan yelling instructions at him what to do and what not to do so he wouldn't get hurt. I learned from that that the Jordan River, even though it's nothing like the Mississippi, when it is at flood stage, it can still have significant impact and danger. The Bible says that when the Israelites reached the Jordan, it was at flood stage. That means the waters were about six to ten feet deep. And God said to the priests who carry the ark, get into there, and then you will see a miracle. But you've got to get in it first. Now, there's two things you need to know. First is this. The priests don't swim. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and most of the water they've seen is the water that came out of the rock, and a few springs here or there. They don't swim. Secondly is they have to get in the water that's 6 to 10 feet deep carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That is no easy feat. The rabbinical tradition is that the Ark of the Covenant weighed 2,000 pounds. And in fact, what the rabbis said is you don't carry the Ark, it carries you. Now, maybe it wasn't that big. Let's say it was the size that was in the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's still quite a bit to jump in the water with. In fact, I was thinking if I were one of the priests, I might have asked Joshua and and thereby asked God, is it okay if I just stick my toe in? Will that do it? Will that do it? You know, a lot of good people, a lot of very religious people live their life just sticking the toe in in the water. They, They... 
work at a job, but they think about maybe doing something else. They're in a relationship, but they're really not completely committed to that relationship. They're thinking about children, but really are thinking that economically and with the way the world is in our day, maybe this isn't a good time. We know so many people who simply can't or will not jump into the water. They hedge their bets. They stick their toes in. They avoid risk at all costs. I know those people because often I'm one of them. But I'm so grateful that the priest carried this ark, however large it was, and jumped into the water because we saw what happened. As soon as they hit the water, the water parted and left dry ground so that the people could cross the Jordan into the promised land. I'm so glad they did that because they taught us so much about faith. I wanted to share with you a few things I learned from these guys that can't swim who jump in to this water. First thing I learned is that often miracles follow risk. Miracles don't usually in the scripture precede risk. They usually follow them, or as my friend Ray puts it, Often God does miracles when your feet are wet, and sometimes not before that. Think about Peter. Peter can't walk on the water unless he first gets out of the boat. Think about when they crossed the promised land, they got to the first fortified city, Jericho. And Jericho's walls do not fall unless they walk around it basically unarmed except with a a bunch of musical instruments. They take the chance. And the miracle follows. Often, it's the risk, the first step of obedience, that opens the way for the miracle that God wants to do for us. Second thing I learned is this. When uh, they're told by Joshua, or the officers of the people, excuse me, tell them, now look, you need to watch the priests. And you need to follow them because you've never been this way before. Sometimes when we stand at a crossroad, or sometimes when we stand at the verge of a very cloudy future, we wish that God would, would show us the way. We wish that God would give us some sort of sign so that we'd know which way to go. But maybe the scripture take, tells us that often the sign follows the first step of risk or obedience. God is calling us to something that is new. It's not until we take the first step toward what is new that God then begins to show us the rest of the way. Do you remember the, the uh, Indiana Jones uh, movie when they're looking for the grail? Holy grail, and Indiana Jones is right there on the verge. The holy grail is just across a chasm. But how does he cross the chasm? And then he remembers what his father had said to him when you reach the edge of the lion's head. Only by a leap will you prove your worth. And so there's that leap of faith. And remember what happens? He steps out into the chasm, and the road appears. The bridge appears. I think that's biblical. Oftentimes, God doesn't show us the whole thing until we take the first step in God's direction. The waters don't part until we stick ourselves in. The disciples who are chosen by God, as Marsha mentioned this morning, don't know what that life with God is going to look like until they start following him. They take that first step with Jesus and things start to open up. We'll never know. God simply doesn't give us the whole picture ahead of time. God in the scripture seems to wait for us to respond to the first thing God calls us to do before God shows us more of our 
way. It's almost as if in your life with God, you can't see further than your headlights at night. It's just, but you have to keep driving in that direction. And more things begin to open up. One of the interesting things uh, that I learned about the people in Israel's um, day of the Israelites here, whether it be Egypt or Philistines or, or Moab or wherever you were, gods were thought to be territorial gods. God works in regions. So the Egyptian gods, uh, they were powerful in Egypt, and that was kind of their domain. And the gods of the Philistines, well, they ruled in, in Philistia. And the gods of Moab, well, they, they would work in Moab. But typically, gods weren't believed across borders. So how scary it must have been when the God of the universe had led them through the desert and got to the water and they had to be thinking, I wonder if God's ever crossed this water. I wonder if God is God on the other side. And they didn't find out that God was God of both sides of the river until they got into it. When God is leading you to something new, you might rightfully ask, how, how can I trust? How can I make that move? And the answer in the scripture is because whatever God is calling you to, God has been there. God is already there. God is not only with you, says the scriptures, but God goes before you. So there's a health change in your family. Will God be there? God's already ahead. There's a new vocation toward which God is calling you. Will God be there? God's already there. God has got on both sides of the Jordan in our world. And so they took that first step and their path became a little clearer. And then another lesson that uh, strikes me comes from this. Most scholars would agree that the Red Sea and the Jordan River partings are intentionally worked by God to, to teach us important lessons about leaving captivity and entering the promised land. So it is appropriate to look at the Red Sea and the Jordan River and just see what they have in common, but also to see what's different. Here's something that I think is interesting that's different. When they got to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are chasing them, all they have to do is have Moses raise the staff and the water parts. People don't have to do anything except when the water parts, go across. But after 40 years of struggling and growing and learning, when they get to the Jordan River, God says, this time you're going to help me. And the waters aren't going to part until you get in them. That teaches me that as we mature and grow in faith, sometimes God says to us, I want you to share and work with me on this miracle. You want to do something about children dying in Africa? Work with me on this thing. You want to do something about the homeless? Work with me on this thing. You worried about the education of our children? Work with me. With a Sunday school or mentoring in schools, God calls the mature to partner with God. And sometimes... The miracles where we never even lift the finger are only because we're at such an early stage of faith that God cannot yet trust us or call us to participate with God in the miracle. No staff this time. Real live people who can't swim have got to get in the water. And then it parts. Is God calling you someplace you've never swam in before? Well, you probably have a right to ask me the same question. Every Sunday I tell you how I think ought to be, and you probably wonder, well, do you do it? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my story. 1999, first time I'd ever gone to Israel. We got to a place called in the uh, desert called En Gedi. David hid there from Saul. It's an, basically, it's an oasis, one of the most wonderful oases or oases in the entire Middle East. 
Uh, beautiful place, a lot of pools from spring-fed water, a lot of pools from melted snow, just beautiful place. And our leader was trying to teach us about commitment to God. And while he's talking about commitment and that we've got to be fully committed to God, he jumps in the water. And, you know, I'm sort of like Gomer Powell, and I'm like, golly, you know, I'm just watching it. But just stand in there. And he gets up out of the water. After about a minute, nobody does anything. And he reminds us that we've got to jump in that water and be committed to God. So it's like, okay, note to self, if this ever happens again, I'll jump in. Eight years later, eight years later, same spot in Getty with a different group. I'm back in Israel. He's in that water. He's standing by the water. I know he's going to jump in. I've seen this before. I know I'm supposed to jump in too. So while he's talking, I'm not even listening. I'm getting my stuff ready so it won't get wet. You know, so I find like, what's most important? Well, my, my billfold and my hotel key. And I'm arranging things in my fanny pack to keep it dry or whatever. And while I'm doing that, bam, he jumps in. And I'm, I'm about to get there. I'm about to get there. And then he comes up because nobody's jumped in and gives the same lecture as eight years ago. Shazam. Missed it again. And I thought about that. And I thought, why did I miss these opportunities to jump in? And I think the first thing was I just I wasn't certain. And there's a lot of confusion about what it is to follow God. You know, a lot of confusion about what commitment is. That's both feet, and it's not toes. But the second time, I just got to tell you, I was worshiping idols. I was more worried about whether my billfold stayed dry, whether my hotel key would float down in the pool of springs. I was just worshiping idols, and I missed it. But God wasn't finished. So we started, this didn't happen eight years earlier, but we started walking further into Engedi, where there are more pools. And I didn't know this, but he was leading us to a pool to give us another chance to do it again. 110 degrees outside in a wonderful pool of water. He was going to give us that opportunity. So we're beginning to walk toward it, and we cross a little um, uh, place where the waters come down over the rocks, and we're crossing across the rocks. And I slipped and fell right into the water. Billfold, hotel key, and all. And 20 yards straight down the water. It's like Slitterbond. All the way to the pool where he was going to end up at anyway. And it was amazing. I thought to myself, I wanted to stick my toe in. And so God got tired of watching it. Just pushed me in. And I realized, you know, it's 110 outside and it's 70 in here. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice that God's risk is better than my security. But then, I have to tell you one more thing. When I slipped and fell, I hit the back of my head on a rock. And the back of my head started to look about like this. A huge knot that for the next six days, people behind me could see and I could feel. And it reminded me of one more thing. That when it comes to our walk of faith, it's really a lot more dangerous not to risk than to do the thing that God is calling you to do when God calls you to do it. 